This podcast is all about learning more about ourselves by learning more about God. Scripture tells us that we are to love God and love others. So let us be part of your journey of loving others to make a difference in our culture. Together, we can revitalize kindness. So in this episode, we explore the boundaries between faith and medicine, between science and God, and between kindness and healing. Also, should church leaders make decisions on our mental health needs? These are some great topics, great discussion. You decide for yourself. Thank you for joining us on this episode. Let's jump in. Welcome to Revitalized Kindness Podcast. My name is Dave Weaver. And I'm Yvette Walker. And welcome to this podcast episode. We're just talking about mental health today, and we're going to relate this to kindness. But we also have a special guest today, and we have a uh, Miss Carrie Bach, and she's going to introduce herself real quick. She has a podcast and uh, many, many endeavors in the church and otherwise. Carrie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Um, My name is Carrie Bach. I'm a licensed professional counselor in Tennessee. I have a hybrid practice where it's I do virtual sessions three days a week and then I do one day a week of intensive sessions for clients who are looking to do specific trauma processing. And those are either a three hour chunk in the morning or afternoon or uh, six hours. We take a lunch break in the middle. So it's been a really great opportunity for people to progress faster. I do have a podcast called Hope for Anxiety and OCD, which is a welcome place for struggling Christians to reduce shame, increase hope, and develop healthier connections with God and others. So that's love a little bit about me. I love that. Yeah, and I have checked out the podcast. We're going to put a link on the in, in the show notes for this one and uh, uh, to point you to that podcast. And it and again, it's great. You have great guests there that really you you they get in depth, uh, maybe more in depth than than I could for sure. And um, and I'm sure you've you've got a lot of experience in that field, but I'm sure you're learning too from a lot of the guests that you get. Yeah, it's incredible, like how much you learn talking to various people who've you know, written books or studied things more in depth than I have. It's, I love it. Absolutely. Well, this podcast, see, this season, we're talking about biblical kindness and, 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 and I want to, so we're going to talk about mental health, but I definitely think there's a connection to kindness. And so as we've unpacked a few things already this season, we have plenty of room or plenty of, um, more things to talk about, but tonight again, we're going to, I want to connect the mental health and kindness, and we're going to show some, I'm going to read just a couple article uh, snippets, but then I'm going to relate those back to scripture too. Um, One thing that I read, and this was actually from the Mayo Clinic Health um, website, we're going to of course give you that link. They said physiologically, kindness can positively change your brain. Being kind boosts serotonin and dopamine, which are neurotransmitters in the brain that give you feelings of satisfaction and well-being and cause the pleasure reward centers in your brain to light up. Endorphins, which are are your body's natural painkiller, also can be released. So kindness can help kind of push this, um, these reactions or these chemical uh, reactions. And a a couple verses that I found that were kind of neat. Proverbs 12, 25 tells us that anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. And some versions say a kind word. And Proverbs 16, 24 says kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. So, you know, it's kind of neat when you look at scripture like that, because then you kind of realize that although science is kind of sort of figuring these things out now or in recent times god knew many 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 years ago thousands of years ago that a good word or kindness was good for not only the soul but you know anxiety and and other 
our mental quality, our mental health quality. And so I thought those were neat. Here's another one. This one, I don't have the link, but I'll provide it later. This one said, um, we're all familiar with the saying, it's better to give than receive. And what might surprise you is that it's actually backed up by research. Those of us who are kind and compassionate experience clear benefits to our well-being and happiness. We may even live longer. Kindness also helps reduce stress and improve our emotional well-being. With everything that's going on in the world, and I really like this. This is a little further in the article that I read. But they said, with everything that's going on in the world, so I think this was around 2020 this was written. It says that now is the time to help make a kinder society that improves our mental health. And so in thinking about it's better to give than receive, remind me of Hebrews 13, which says this, and do not forget to do good and to share with others for, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. So God not only knew that things like a kind word was good for our souls, good for our health, but it also pleases God to see those things from us. So I thought that was interesting. Um, and, and too, it reminds me kind of like at the beginning of the church. And I've always been fascinated, always, because I think about the church today and you hardly ever see sort of a replica of this. Um, but when the early church started in Acts 2, it, it talks about, you know, and all who believed were together and they had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and, and distributing them or the proceeds to all as any had a need. So it seems like the, well, the culture inside the church at that time was definitely uh, more together. There was more, they were more unified and I think that's just, um, you know, it, we don't see that. And, and we don't see that. Well, we see it a little bit in the church, of course, because I think there's definitely, we can't speak uh, terribly badly of the church because we, we do the best that we can. I do believe that. Um, but I just think that I've always been fascinated at that verse because it, it really shows a, a really deep and compassionate way that we treated one another. And sometimes I think nowadays, it seems like we're a little bit more standoffish. You know, we clicks are very important to people or, or, or not even just click, just who are they, who are you comfortable with talking to or the group that you're more comfortable with, which creates a click more or less. But, um, but sometimes we just find ourselves naturally gravitating towards those kinds of things. And then, of course, that separation between people often division kind of fills in the holes or the, you know, those, those, uh, those spaces, if you will. Uh, so we talked about division recently in another, uh, I think it was, was it last time? I can't remember. Uh, maybe last episode. Uh, it was either the last one or the one before that. <laughs> yeah. So check that out, whichever one that was. <laughs> it is called division or device. It, you'll, you'll see it. It's, it's Mr. Obvious. Um, but la one last thing, and then we'll dig in and talk amongst each other. Uh, I thought this was neat though. And this was in 2020. Um, there's a organization called, let me see if I got it in the notes. Well, I got this from mentalhealth.org. This was actually from the United Kingdom, but they were, they were talking about a, uh, mental health awareness week. Um, and I'm not sure if that's a national thing. Maybe, you know, Carrie, uh, they had this in May. Are you aware of a? Yeah, of every a, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. So probably okay. Mental Health Awareness Week was probably in May at some point. So they wrote it. Well, an article was written about that. And it said in 2020 that why it, the top of the article said, why kindness is the theme of for Mental Health Awareness Week 2020 and why it could be the most important week we've ever run. Um, and here's what they said. Um, next month, we'll kick off Mental Health Awareness Week, focusing on the power and potential of kindness. We think it could be the most important week we've hosted. 
not least because um, our own research shows that protecting our mental health is going to be central to us coping with and recovering from the coronavirus pandemic. With the psychological and social impacts like likely to outlast the, the physical symptoms of the virus, kindness is defined by doing something towards yourself and others um, motivated or excuse me, motivated by a, ge a genuine desire to make a positive difference. And we know from research, they said that kindness and our mental health are deeply connected. The research shows that kindness is an antidote to isolation and creates a sense of belonging. It, it helps reduce stress, brings a, it brings a fresh perspective and deepens friendships. Kindness is to ourselves can prevent shame from corroding our senses of identity and help boost our self-esteem. Kindness can even improve feelings of confidence and optimism. So all that to say, um, kindness just has a big impact. And so when we talk about it and promote kindness within the podcast, it's not anything that we take lightly. Um, it is sort of the, the root or the core of the podcast is to say that because of God's kindness, you know, and, and his grace, and through our salvation, we're made into a new person, revitalized, so we can be kind to others and so that we can follow the great commandment and love others as we love ourselves. And so as you look at these articles and think through it, really we're, we see all of that sprinkled in the midst of it, a gospel, a sort of gospel message, a sort of the great commandment as Jesus called it. This is the core of the commandments. It's just to love others and, well, first love your God, but then love others as you love yourself. So definitely seems to be important and impactful. Um, Carrie, as you've done your podcast, I mean, what's, what's some conversations that maybe had come to mind that you've had that may support some of these ideas about kindness or love? and how they can affect our, our mental state. Yeah, I think, you know, about a lot of the personal interviews that I've done, people have had personal experiences with anxiety or OCD and really the church's response to that. Sometimes people received very kind words from other Christians or from church leaders, but sometimes they didn't. And I was preparing for an interview today and someone had told me a situation where they were basically told they were going to hell for changing denominations. Well, obviously that's not kind, but then there have been other times, you know, where people have shared just how I, I usually have stories of hope on my podcast, which is like a time where you received hope from God or another person. And so several of those have been about people who were encouraged um, in the midst of a very difficult time in their life where someone spoke a word of encouragement over them or where God um, really just gave them a sense of peace to move forward and whatever it was that they were struggling with, you know, so mm. our kindness really does make a difference. And I think what you're talking about with the benefits to your mental health, it makes a lot of sense because when we are being kind, we're focusing on other people and how we can help and benefit them versus a lot of times when we're stuck in a negative thought cycle or a, a lot of anxious worries, we tend to be very self-focused and just like, what's going on with me right now? How is this situation going to work out? And a lot of times we don't realize, um, you know, gratitude, I think goes along with this, how much God has done for us, how, mm. you know, even in just saving us, like bringing us back to that place of gratitude and being able to flow out of that and in loving other people too. And it does, improve your mood. I mean, none of that really surprises me, you know, like you mm. said, God's, you know, studies are just confirming what God's words already said. Yeah. I mean, do you see a connection with, um, let's say, let's look at our, our churches and the, the, the things that you, you guys are doing in, in church and trying to offer that help. I mean, can you tell, um, does that help kind of frame the, the culture of that church? And, you know, I, I just think that 
sometimes when we're, when we're uh, vulnerable and, um, you know, we, you know, sometimes I do that in my classes. And I think sometimes when I'm vulnerable and I say, look, here's something I've been dealing with. Here's something I need prayer for this kind of thing. It really opens up avenues for relationships. I think it puts people at ease for, for one, because you're, you're actually able to, maybe they wanted to put themselves out there, but a lot of times we're scared to do that. Of course. I mean, do you see that, uh, programs or things like that that you guys are doing in the church does that does it you see it changing the the sh- or shifting the the i don't know maybe the just overall atmosphere or culture within the church i think it just you know obviously the church is a lot more open in general the church is more open to mental health than it used to be and i think more educated about mental health counseling how counseling can be beneficial and not just pastoral counseling within the church, but also licensed, um, trained mental health counselors as well that we can come alongside, um, spiritual leaders and clergy to support, to support them and support the person who is, is suffering and struggling. It just really depends a lot on the environment because I think that, you know, I've certainly sat in pulpits where, or not sat in the pulpit, sat in churches where pastors preach from the pulpit and said, hey, I go to counseling or I've been to counseling mm-hmm. because being a pastor is hard or I went through something right. difficult in my life or lost a loved one. And I think that that level of vulnerability is super powerful to hear someone in leadership saying, hey, I I became vulnerable myself in order to be the best leader that I could be for the the congregation. I think that that's uh, super powerful. But I think what you're talking about is more like in in like a small group context where somebody Mm -hmm. opens up and says, hey, I struggle with anxiety or I've started taking medication for my depression or you know, and I think if you're if you're in a good, safe space, then yes, I, I really appreciate that about the opportunities that we have to be vulnerable in church. But what I found most of the time, unfortunately, in my just churches, different places that I've attended, I, I find AA meetings a lot more open and vulnerable than most church small groups. And I think that's really sad. Um, mm. I think that we should be able to be vulnerable with each other. You know, there's a verse in the Bible that talks about confessing our sin to one another and that we will receive healing from that. Mm. And, and I believe that that healing is emotional, it's psychological. We don't need that in terms of our salvation or atonement. We don't need to go to each other. But, you know, why would God say that there's healing in that? So, yeah, why, to ponder. why do you think we we do have our guard up so, so high? Um, you know, you would think like, again, I'm, I'm thinking back to that first century church. It just seemed like people were really open to helping each other. I mean, it was, they were very transparent in the way that they were doing it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I know now, like I'm in leadership at church and I know now we, we have committees and we have benevolence funds, but everything's secret and it's very confidential and things like that. But it just seems like they were really open to just say, Hey, let's put everything together. Let's love on one another. And then you let those resources help our, our people and sustain our people so it just seems like, um, but now this culture or this day and time, it just seems like we're a little bit more, we're different, right? So we just got more walls to 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 penetrate through. Why do you think that is for, for people? I think we're in a highly individualized society. I think that's part of it. You know, if you go to other parts of the world um, where they are more community, uh, communal focused, Um, You look at uh, tribal groups or even um, Asian countries or um, some Hispanic populations where they're very much focused on making sure the the family unit and then the extended family unit, the the grouping in the community as a whole is a lot more valued. Whereas in uh, America, Western culture, it's very much a you have to work for it yourself. Don't rely on other people. You can't trust them. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps if you're having a hard time. You just have to go figure it out and make it happen. And unfortunately, our mental health, especially since COVID, has super suffered from the isolation and individualization. Uh, Cigna actually did a research study on loneliness and, and isolation. And what they found was that loneliness was worse than most chronic health 
health conditions for people's health, which is very wow. interesting coming from an insurance company, right? So now they are much more promoting mental health and talking about how it affects your physical health. Mm. And, and they were talking about human to human connection, even just the clerk at the grocery store or saying, you know, waving hi to your neighbor, that the more of those interactions that people had, the better their mental health fared versus if they were in isolation. And that was a study actually that was done prior to COVID. So that was probably done, I don't know, somewhere around 17, 18, maybe. I'll mm. have to look it up. That's interesting. That, yeah, is, that interesting. is interesting. Carrie, it was so interesting that you said that you that you have found in some AA groups and in groups like that, just to be more, I guess, accepting or more open. And I found that to be true. We had a recovery transition group, small group at my church. And unfortunately we don't have any more, but it was a small group that uh, welcomed really anyone going through transition. But we often saw people who were suffering from addiction, alcoholism, but also people who were going through a divorce and someone was going through cancer. I mean, we just had a variety of people in this group, which was such an awesome thing because we all helped each other. And even the people who weren't suffering from substance addictions, but were going through something else, we were, it seemed like everybody was able to be open and be kind because everyone was going through something, but it wasn't necessarily the same thing. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, it was through the church, but it was a small group of, of individuals, um, which I just thought was one of the best small groups I've been in. Mm. I love small group. And I think a lot of big, you know, as churches get bigger, not all churches that are getting bigger, but the ones that are even the smaller churches, my church has a small group, even though it's a modest sized church, but I know these big churches, especially they, they really promote it in the way that, you know, we were a big body, and, and so let's get smaller in in the way that so we can you know talk amongst each other and sharpen each other with the word, and just community. You know, be a part of the community, and and I think that's so important. I mean, the the Bible talks about community. We we know that it's very important to um, uh, be part of the community uh, and be a community amongst ourselves, and so. You know, and I think that's interesting about the the, the loneliness um, and companionship. I mean, because obviously that's something, too, that, that Scripture talks about, fellowship among other believers and things of that nature. So, again, it seems like God has the edge on the science or the understanding of, of what he made. Uh, so, but I love it. I love it, though, because we can really see these, like, these connections uh, between what the science is or the the thoughts are on certain ideas, mental health and anxiety. Um, do you on your podcast, do you hear testimonies sometimes uh, in terms of, you know, anxiety and things like that, that people have been through? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I interview a wide variety of people and, you know, some of them have written books about um, their story or have written books about other Christian topics. I interview some pastors and I've interviewed um, people who just have a personal story of anxiety or OCD as well. So it's right. a wide variety of, of people that I've interviewed. Do you, do you think it's a good idea for people to, um, and I've always heard that it's good to write things down. Um, and I know, especially like if you're, uh, I don't know, I've heard it for different reasons, but like just in general for life in a complicated time, or maybe it's, uh, maybe it's, maybe it's a situation where you need to say something that's really tough for, to someone else. They always say, write it down. Is there something about getting the words out like that, that it is a relief or, I mean, I don't know if you've heard any, any of the science or any of the, um, you know, the, the psychology on that in terms of just writing things down, is that a good outlet? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering because I know sometimes I've told people that, you know, they're dealing with a lot and there's, they're going through hardship. Um, and I know sometimes of course we, as Christians, we want to talk to God. And I think that's a way that we are able to release uh, those words and those thoughts from, from ourselves and, and give them over to God because they'll, everybody will say, just give it to God. But sometimes it's hard for us to articulate. And so do you think uh, 
articulating it, whether it's verbal or on paper, is that a good method for us to, and it may just be a temporary fix, but just a way to kind of like ease or work through anxiety issues that we might have? I, I do think so. I, I don't necessarily have any studies on that that I could cite, but I do think if you look based on the Psalms and how the psalmists were very emotional beings, and there were times where they were really angry, there were times where they were in despair, very sad, and times where they were very happy and praising God. So mm. there's this full gamut of emotion there. And I really believe God put that book, you know, in the Bible for a reason, obviously, that we have it. And to show us that, you know, these emotions are okay, we just have to learn what to do with them and how to handle them in a healthy way. You know, God has emotions that's throughout the Bible and we're created in his image. We also have emotions and there are going to be times where we do fear and fear is not always a bad emotion. Sometimes it can be very protective for us. Um, I, I want my daughter, you know, when she's she's not quite walking yet, but when she's old enough to walk and run, I want her to fear traffic. I don't want her to just think that it's OK to run out in the road when there's cars. Um, so a lot of times as a Christians, people may believe things that aren't true, like, um, you know, oh, I should never be anxious if I'm a Christian, I should just always like be at peace or I should have joy or I shouldn't be angry. I shouldn't get angry about things, but mm. everyone gets angry <laughs> about right. things. Yeah. 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 I think so. And, you know, we, we see the the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. So we know emotions are just a natural part of, of life. And I agree. There's a great study that I didn't ever, I never got to finish, but I know Charles Stanley had a, um, a great study on emotional health. Um, and um, yeah, I think that um, I want to go back though, just a minute. I was thinking about, you know, sometimes pastors, depending on how, maybe how old school they are, uh, they may not be happy with you if you say, hey, I'm taking this medication or I'm getting this particular type of help. Is Now, definitely, it, I would say, is that a more, from what you've seen, is that more of a generational thing? And do you see us, I think you may have mentioned this earlier uh, uh, briefly, but do you see us uh, improving in that area in terms of balancing um, getting clinical help versus spiritual health. Talk a little bit about that. Is there a balance? Are we, are we getting close to a balance or does it just depend on, uh, again, there's that generation thing that. I think we're getting closer to it. And I think it is partially generational and it's partially denominational. So there are some denominations that promote complete healing and so if you are not completely healed by something, or if you say, you know, I have a disorder or disease, that's something that they just can't accept because if you're a Christian, you should be healed. I don't find that to be biblical based theology from my understanding of the Bible, but that is how some people perceive it. Um, and so that can, of course, be a hindrance if someone does genuinely need medication for anxiety, OCD, depression, whatever it is. Um, I think that, you know, more and more people as they learn more about it, it doesn't, you know, if you take medications for these types of things, it doesn't mean you have to be automatically have to be on it forever. Some people take medication while they're going to therapy and they, um, you know, are able to feel better, learn some skills It kind of helps them through that process or deal with the trauma. And then they may be at a point where they feel, are feeling a lot better and may be able to go off of it. So I think there's a lot of misunderstandings about medication that people have related to mental health. But if you look at things like, you know, diabetes medication, high blood pressure medication, those types of things are very similar. There's some people that have to be on high blood pressure medication for years. And there are other people that are, are able to find some different ways to manage it. Maybe if they lose weight or they exercise more or, you know, maybe they do or don't have a family history, which may play into that. So it's very similar, I think, to to physical conditions. Right. And if we just see it as this is our body is we're living in a fallen world. Our body is imperfect. And so my brain may be malfunctioning or it may not have the right chemicals going through it. If we're able to look at it that way from a more medical standpoint versus 
um, hey, anxiety is only a spiritual problem. Well, it could be a spiritual problem, but it also could be a physical problem. It could be an emotional, mental problem. It, you know, there are there are physical health components that can contribute to anxiety. So I like to look at it more as a multifaceted issue rather than if someone goes to the church and they say, hey, I'm full of worry, I have a lot of anxiety. A lot of times people will only attack it from the spiritual standpoint. Mm. Yeah, I know. Like sometimes we, we're we're uh, maybe maybe a little cautious on medicine just because of all the side effects. And so it sounds like, especially when we're thinking about generations, that a lot of the uh, maybe the older folk. I know, so I know some myself in my generation, or my mother's and my grandmother's generation, that they would be more like let's depend on what God can do for us. But I think the science has improved a lot too, in just all fairness science has improved a lot in terms of, cause you know, a long time ago and I was, um, and I can't remember how long time ago, but I know at one time, um, a lot of the science world looked at psychology as a, like a pseudoscience. So there wasn't, you know, it, it took a long time for it to really take hold, just kind of like chiropractor or, you know, or chiropractor. I know that is right. another type of, um, medical, and even massages, because I know like massages, a lot of massage therapists are working together with chiropractors and, and there's apparently, and I don't know from experience, but a lot of good things that they're doing adjustments and so forth, which apparently can make a huge difference in, in a person's day to day pains, taking pains away, uh, I don't know, maybe it changes the way they walk. I don't, I'm not sure, but apparently there's some huge, I remember hearing this one lady tell me that the first massage she got from an, a therapist, it put her in tears because it released toxins. I mean, just some amazing stuff apparently that can be done in those processes. But yeah, so I, I think it looks like with, with where we're at today that I guess, um, the thoughts of mental health or the, the uh, research and the, I guess, the respect of that field is becoming more solid. I mean, would you agree that it looks to be more of a more respected field? Because uh, I think you mentioned something earlier about that. Yeah, I mean, you have to look at psychology as a young science in mm. itself, right? I mean, really started more in the early 1900s. And Obviously, what we know about the brain now versus what we knew back then has grown exponentially as, you know, people have been able to see, you know, brains on MRIs and, and all of these types of scanning things that we have now, you know, to be able to look at structures. There's a part of the brain in the frontal lobe that's more active when people have OCD. So that is actually something that, that they can see at a, at a more brain level. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot of psychological studies that have been done for treatments of various disorders to help us kind of determine, you know, which ones are more indicated for, for certain disorders and those types of things. I, psychological studies are hard because they end up ruling out a lot of people. And so I get a little frustrated sometimes with them when they're talking about specific disorders, because Typically, people don't come in with just one thing wrong. <laughs> that would be a little bit more rare. And in my world, typically, people have more than one thing going on with them. So, yeah, even though the healthcare system that I work for, they they have now they well they have always had chaplains, but now they have um, they have teams that um, we used to have events anyway when we were in the office. Now we're not. A lot of us aren't in the office. We're we're working from home. But they used to have events where a chaplain would come by and they would give you blessings. And so they weren't they was they wasn't really representing one faith or the other, but it was just kind of interesting. And uh, they had their little rocks. <laughs> Seriously, they bring in rocks and do something. I never got a blessing personally, but they, they would walk around the hallways and go into the break room and just offer blessings um, and some sort of prayer. And again, the prayer probably wasn't to christ or anything it was just a general prayer uh for health and wealth and, and probably just more health than anything so yeah it seems like even like healthcare companies and even from a corporate level seem to be more uh accepting and they they definitely 
promote uh, spiritual health because of the types of teams that they've built around the the, the chapel seat or chaplains. I don't say because it used to just be a chaplain, but now there's there's a whole team that's involved um, from a corporate level, which is kind of neat to see, just to understand that they're um, they're they're making in considerations for that. And a part of that, you know, of course, is for our, our patients because the patients, they, they have the opportunities if they're in a bad spot, um, you know, maybe they're on their deathbed or they're just in a lot of pain and they need some comfort. So they have that availability, but then they're making that available to team members as well, which is, is, is kind of neat. Um, so anxiety, you you specifically on your podcast, you talk about anxiety and and OCD. We've talked a lot about anxiety. What's some what's some I don't know, just some facts that you maybe have on the top of your mind about OCD that you could share with us that would enlighten us and maybe and help us to understand um, that 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 people deal with. Sure. Um, OCD is not just about cleanliness or people being obsessed with order. I think that's what most people think it's about. It's like someone, um, their, their Hollywood picture is monk and he has to use a handkerchief mm. to open the door and he can't, he has Good to have show. things lined up a certain way in his house and all of this stuff. And he's real particular to detail, but, um, OCD uh, obsessions can take a variety of forms. So some people have sexual obsessions, some have um, somatic obsessions, like with their body, some have, um, you know, obsessions about fear of harming themselves, fear of harming other people, causes a lot of um, avoidance of certain things, because then they're, you know, um, avoiding situations that might prompt their obsessions to occur. And a lot of compulsions can be external, like checking locks or doors or washing hands, but they can also be internal. Sometimes they can even be prayers. People can have obsessions about God, being concerned that they've offended God, they've committed the unpardonable sin, they're going to hell. There's, um, that's called scrupulosity, OCD. Mm -hmm. And that is pretty common for Christians. They may struggle with Typically, I would say people struggle with a variety of themes throughout their lifetime and it may change. So what they're really obsessing about as a 10 year old may be different by the time they're 18 or by the time they're 30. They may have different themes throughout their lifetime, but typically Christians a lot of times will have some scrupulosity OCD concerns because OCD latches onto things that are most important to you. So if you're a Christian and you have a lot of faith and you go to church, it's common that you would have those types of obsessions. If you have, you know, children and you really care about them, sometimes OCD can get latched into that fear that they're going to get sick, fear that you're mm. going to harm them, those types of things. And these are very highly distressing thought processes and images that create a lot of internal tension for people. So definitely not something to be to be taken lightly and can be really hard to deal with. And also it takes people a long time to get diagnosed typically because um, people don't know what they don't, they have the Hollywood picture of OCD instead of what it actually is. Right. Yeah. So they just think it's a part of them, right? You know, it's just, just me, just how I am. I hear that a lot. You know, yeah. there's one thing that I did, this probably counts as a form of, of that. Um, I was, I used to work for a company and every day when I walked down the hallway to my workstation, there was a, uh, what do you call it? A cord that came down from the, the window shade. And every time I went by it, I would pop it with my hand. And when I missed it or I forgot, I would, I couldn't keep walking. I had to turn around and I'd come back and I'd pop it. And then I'd walk down. People saw me do that. They thought I was, you know, um, a little crazy for doing that, I guess, but, but is that kind of, uh, it's, and I never thought of, Hey, this is a OCD or whatever. It's just something that was, it seemed, I don't know. I don't know why I just started doing it one day and then I couldn't stop doing it. You know, is that, yeah. Do you, did it cause you high distress if you, if you didn't do it yeah. or did you feel like something was bad was going to happen if you didn't do it? Like if I don't do this then something, bad I didn't feel happen. like anything bad was going to happen, but it did call me, cause me a little stress. Cause I turned around and I would, I would go get it. 
I'd pop it and then I'd turn around and then I'd go to my workstation. If I was running late, if I was running late, it didn't matter. (laughs) I was still going to get it. And I think, (laughs) I don't think I ever went to clock in and then come back, but I definitely turned around and come back quickly and, you know, popped it. But, you know, it was just one of those little things. And, um, but I have seen, yeah, like you said on TV, I think we look at the more extreme cases and that, and that's how we reckon it but i guess is it is there a do you know any that when it maybe not the exact stats but do you know if stats are pretty high and pretty common i guess i should say for folks to to experience even just a little bit of either anxiety and ocd um the prevalence of anxiety is probably a lot higher than ocd i don't know um i don't have the percentage in front of me for ocd but anxiety and depression are probably the two most common mental health disorders that people seek help for and it's more likely for women to seek mental health treatment doesn't mean that men don't have struggles with mental health they certainly do but i think they're much less likely to reach out and get help is is ocd more internal versus anxiety anxiety to me and i'm probably wrong but anxiety to me it seems to be things from the outside make me nervous or make me um you know have high anxiety and and the ocd i'm not sure like me popping that thing and i just pop my mic but me popping yeah i'm popping my mic now i'm gonna have to do it every time of it i'm just kidding (laughs) bam don't do that No, I, and I don't, like I say, I don't know why I did it. It wasn't an external factor that made me uh, pop that cord or whatever. So is, is OCD more internal? Can it be heredity potentially? I don't know. See, I don't know these things versus anxiety, which I guess most of the time would be feeling the pressure from, from maybe outside forces. Am I on the right track or is that? I mean, they both can run in families for sure. So, and, and then it's kind of like, well, are you learning the behavior from the person that, you know, you're being raised by, or is it a genetic component or it's probably a little bit of both, let's face it, in a lot of mental health um, situations, you know, you, you may have had a parent that was really rigid or really strict about certain things, but then, you know, and they may have met some criteria for undiagnosed OCD. And then the child starts exhibiting some of those same behaviors or really, you know, gets into hand washing because their parents have really stressed to them, you know, how germs can make you sick and you don't want to get sick. And so you mm. have to wash your hands and, and you know, it, it kind of goes to like an extreme a black and white level typically mm-hmm. with with OCD. The, the difference kind of between anxiety and OCD is anxiety is a little bit um, easier to reason with. It takes logic a little bit better. Whereas with OCD, you really can't logic your way out of it because OCD will always come up with another oh, argument. Wow. It'll be like, well, what if really? this, you know, what if that happened? Whereas if you talk to huh. someone with anxiety, you know, you, sometimes you can kind of bring them down a little bit by using some like, okay, but how likely is that to happen, you know, or um, those types of, of things. Or if you had to prove that in a court of law, do you think that you could do it? Or it's maybe another uh, kind of a like cognitive hmm. behavioral question we might ask about yourself so there's and a lot of times with anxiety similar to ocd we can work on sitting with the distress but with anxiety you're helping people learn relaxation strategies whereas with ocd it's a little bit of learning to ride the wave ride the discomfort and wait it out and know that it's the discomfort itself is not harmful to you Uh, Similarly to people who experience panic attacks, you know, a lot of times they start fearing having that reaction, whereas if you can help them work through that and know like that can happen, it's not going to kill you and you're going to be okay and you're going to make it through to the other side, um, that really helps people a lot. So the approach is, is slightly different in the sense that with OCD, you know, it typically starts with the obsessive thought or obsessive image and then goes into some type of behavior and it typically follows that route kind of over and over they get a small amount of relief from it but then it ramps up again and then they have another you know it's more compulsions lead to more obsessions so it's just kind of in that cycle over and Mm -hmm. over again it's hard to break and really the only way to break it is to learn to manage that distress and experience the obsession, learn, okay, that is an obsession. That's one of my themes. And I need to like, not touch that one, leave it alone, 
not act on it. I, you know, I don't have to do that. I can sit with this discomfort and this uncertainty and get through it. Carrie, is it true though that so some some uh, mental disorders are chemical are chemical imbalances? And is there? And I, you know, I, again, I don't have expertise in this area either. Uh, with anxiety and OCD and even depression. Do do you see that there's the chemical imbalance or is it more situational, which I know there can be situational depression and there can be other things. So how does that work when you're when you're trying to to treat a person and then also also from a Christian perspective, does that weigh into what you do? Um, obviously, if it's chemical imbalance, you've got to you've got to balance and perhaps there's medication. But how does that how does that work, especially with those two diseases? Well, I think with um, typically when people are talking about chemical imbalances or talking about like serotonin or something of that nature, mm-hmm. and that when you have uh, the medications that are typically used are, are called um, serotonin reuptake inhibitors, essentially they're allowing more of that neurotransmitter to be moved through your brain instead of your body naturally taking it back up, which is what it normally does has to do with nerve firing so you can't really necessarily i mean i don't know much about that from the uh, mental health side i'm a psychiatrist might better be able to speak to that to my understanding it's not like you can go in and have your serotonin levels um measured Mm -hmm. you know like you could other things but usually with medication versus therapy versus do we do both Um, It kind of just depends on the person, on the individual, and if they're having trouble engaging in therapy, typically this happens a lot with depression, you know, if they're, and and depression can come with these other disorders, because when you've been fighting obsessive thoughts for years and years, and you didn't know that that's what you were dealing with, and you just thought that you were crazy, you can get really depressed and really discouraged, like, am I ever going to get out of this loop, and Mm -hmm. so if, if someone is so depressed, that they're having a hard time engaging in the skills that they need to or just showing up in life, then then we kind of have a conversation and say, hey, this is really a big struggle. Have you considered medication? Or I notice how hard you're trying to fight these obsessions. Do you think medication might be an option for you? And always let people make that personal decision. And I kind of, you know, kind of gently weigh in. Some people have said, you know, I've tried medications for my anxiety and I had side effects or, you know, I didn't feel like um, myself when I was on it. And so we try other other avenues or ways to help them. But I always just encourage people to talk to their doctor about it and see if it's right for them and learn about the options because there are, you know, there's more than one option. You know, there's several Mm -hmm. different options out there that can help people um, with these conditions. So finding out more information, whether that's from a primary care or psychiatrist is is often really helpful. Very good. Thank you so much, Um, man. So much great information. And I tell you, and and let me ask you one last question here. Uh, How can we recognize this amongst each other in terms of like, you know, sometimes people get just in a dark place or they seem, you know, we don't always know what people are going through. Um, how can we encourage others out there, people in church and, and at work, um, with friends, of course, uh, as we talk with one another, how can we help each other and, um, and, and maybe help recognize some, some of these traits that, uh, again, I don't know, because how do you even approach that? I, I, like, you, hey, you need to see a, a doctor for OCDs. I think because you, you, I can't diagnose anything. But is there a way, I guess, that we can approach that with friends or just make more people aware? Yeah, I think we really need to approach it like like you're talking about with kindness and as a um, as suffering instead of a spiritual deficit, because unfortunately, a lot of times people when they share about anxiety or OCD in the church, someone views it as a spiritual deficit and they'll say things like, well, you need to pray more. You need to you know, give it over to God and he'll give you peace. You need to take every thought captive and make it obedient Mm -hmm. to Christ. And none of these things are wrong or bad, but there are people that have clinical mental health disorders that they need that in addition to other things. And they cannot take their thoughts captive right now because they're obsessing over something. And even things like prayer could be difficult or reading the Bible could become a negative ritual for them. So they just have to be 
be careful. But I, I think if we approach it as suffering and we say, wow, like I really see that you are suffering and the Bible has plenty to say about suffering that, you know, it creates perseverance, character, hope in our lives, just that, you know, I see your suffering and I just want you to know that I love you and that I'm praying for you and I'm walking alongside you. And mm -hmm. if you ever need to talk to me, I don't always, I'm not gonna always know the answers, but like I'm here to listen and I'm here to like sit with you. You know, Job's friends were like super, super wise when they sat with him for seven days and they didn't even open their mouth. Like that, that was amazing. And then they opened their mouth and everything went haywire, right? But they were doing really, really good for those seven yeah. days where they were sitting with him. That's right? why I listen to people. I try to just listen and <laughs> I'm afraid of yeah. what might come out. No, that's great. That is, that's good advice. Um, you know, and again, look, this is, this is Carrie Bach that was giving us a lot of great information. Check her her uh, podcast out, Hope for Anxiety and OCD. We're going to put a link in the bottom of the show notes. And, you know, I vote for kindness therapy. I think really as a Christian, we should all be experts in, in kindness therapists, right? Because I think that that approach and the example that you gave us just now, Carrie, was beautiful and it was perfect to the, to the point of we just open ourselves to one, another person. We are kind, we are able to listen, and we are able to speak at it with a gentle voice and a loving heart. Um, and, and I think that's good for people, and I think it's good for the soul. Sometimes people just want to hear, uh, be heard because they, they need, because the everything's noisy around them. The, the world is a fast-paced world, and everybody's busy. And sometimes we're too busy for each other. And at least that's the culture that we seem to live in sometimes. And I think it is dangerous. It's a very dangerous world uh, or, or, or place to be in our world where we are just too busy to pay attention. And so, you know, I love those verses again. I'll just mention one again, uh, Proverbs 16, 24. I'll go back to that. Kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. So that's my encouragement to you and everyone else listening is that we just promote kindness in a way that it can help others, not just to help bring others and build bridges and, and, and just to be intentional to bring people to Christ, but just to be there for somebody because that's the part, you know, that's the, that's the way we build bridges anyways. It's just to, to show love towards somebody because again, that may be what they need. So thank y'all so much for joining us on this episode and we can't wait to talk to you again till next time.